God, I am free, free, free from this world of sin. Washed in the blood of Jesus, I've been born again. Hallelujah, I'm saved, saved, saved by His wonderful grace. I'm so glad that I found out He would bring me out, show me the way. Nothing normal about this service. Hi, right, you had to be here last week to get that one, but, uh, you know, nothing normal, baby. This is the kicking off of our revival, and, well, I'll tell you what, I, uh, normally I don't preach on the Sunday morning of the revival week, but unfortunately for us, Brother Moon wasn't able to be here this morning. And so I'm going to go ahead and kick things off, but he'll be with us tonight and then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Looking forward to that. And again, I trust and I do pray that you'll just free your schedule up. And I'm going to tell you what, there's nothing like being just saturated in the Word of God. And I tell you, we don't have often, we don't get often the opportunity to be in church on a regular basis. And this isn't even a long time. It's really just a couple of extra services. But boy, I'll tell you what, it can make a difference and it can truly impact your life in a very profound way. And I just trust and hope that you'll say, you know what, I know I could be doing this or I could be doing that, but I'm just going to be in God's house. 
I just want to get what God has, and I want to, I want to just be where I can uh, just uh, hear from heaven and really allow God to do something in my life. So I hope you'll be here tonight, and then, of course, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday evening as well, and then we'll look forward to what, the God, what God has in store for us throughout this week. All right, 1 Kings chapter 12, 1 Kings chapter 12, uh, we're going to delve into a passage here today that uh, I think is interesting, I found it interesting at least, uh, uh, I have a message that I have on my te- desk right back over there, and I'm not going to preach that one, I'm going to preach this instead, and uh, it's a message that the Lord kind of put on my heart this morning, I just, uh, amazing uh, how when you read the Bible, things kind of jump out at you, you know? So I don't know how good it'll be. I just know that it's, I believe, what the Lord would have us to hear today. And I think it'll prepare us and ready us for tonight and then through the week. Again, I, I'm not here to, to steal the show, if you will. My goal here today is to set up the preacher, to set up the services for the week. You hear me all the time, but he's coming in. And he's kind of like, uh, like a hired gun. You know, we're going to have Brother Moon in, and he's, he's going to come on in, and he's not going to say anything I wouldn't say. He's not going to preach anything I wouldn't preach, because I don't think a preacher ought to have to be worried about that. But the fact is, he's going to come in, he's a fresh voice, uh, and, and, and the Lord's been speaking to him, and working in his life, and doing things in his ministry, and he's going to come in and give us a fresh look, and a fresh voice, and give us an opportunity to really hear from heaven in a unique way this week. So I just want to prepare, and I just want to set the groundwork for him, and Uh, just kind of get things ready to go. So we'll take a few moments and do that and um, see what God will give us today. 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 25 through 33 is where we're going to be reading. Now let me set the tone or the stage of this passage, first of all. After the death of Solomon, Rehoboam, the son of Solomon, succeeded to the throne. Rehoboam becomes the king of Israel. The people come to him and they request that the burden that was laid upon them during the latter reign of Solomon be lifted. They felt that Solomon had been a rather tough taskmaster toward the end, that the burden may have been a little greater than before. I wonder personally, we see the image of the Queen of Sheba going to see Solomon and we see the joy and the happiness of the servants of Solomon and we recognize how wonderful the kingdom was in the state in the of affair that the kingdom found itself in at that time. But I wonder because of the sin of Solomon. I wonder because of the the adultery that was being committed, the, the multiple uh, multiplicity of wives and the the concubines and all the immoral sin that was taking place in a result as a result as the idolatry that took place in his life and all of the things that was going on. Someone says, "Oh, he was allowed to have seven hundred wives." No, he wasn't. He wasn't allowed to have 700 wives, never supposed to have 700 wives. No king was supposed to have that many wives. That's just practical common sense, but it's also biblical. (laughs) Solomon was messed up. He was marrying women who were not equally yoked. He was marrying folks that were ultimately guiding him away from God, moving him away from his faith, causing him to go backward instead of forward for God. And so I believe personally that toward the latter end of Solomon's reign, things began to change slightly. And I think that that's where this comes from. I think that's why the people were like, man, listen, taxes have continued to go higher and problems in the, the, the kingdom have continued to increase and we've having issues with this and issues with that. And hey, listen, Rehoboam, if you're going to lead us, if you're going to be our king, we want you to remove some of that burden. 
If indeed, uh, if it be lifted, they said, we'll faithfully follow you. We'll go ahead and get behind you. We'll serve you, Rehoboam, if indeed you'll do that. So Rehoboam, he seeks counsel. He goes to the older men. He goes to the counselors of Solomon. And he begins to share with them the request of this, this, this counselor, this group that met with him. And he says, now listen, they want me to remove or to take away from the burden of my father. They, they, they want things to be a little easier. And I'm just curious what you think. What's your opinion? Where do you stand on this? Give me some counsel. The older men said, listen, you know what? If you'll just remove some of that burden... If you'll just listen to the people in this regard, I tell you, they'll follow you and they'll serve you. And Rehoboam says, well, all right. And then he seeks out another group to counsel with. He seeks out a group of his peers, those that he was raised up with, those that he grew up with. And as a result, he meets with them and they say, oh man, I heard what those old guys are saying. They're a bunch of geezers. They don't know anything. They're so stupid. Old people are idiots. Young people don't ever fall into that trap. Because that's what the world acts like. Oh, we may get us 55 years of age, get some discounts, but that's only because they think we're incapable. (laughs) They think we're incapable of providing for ourselves now. Oh, there he goes again. (laughs) Better go to the restroom now. You know, it's like, are you kidding me? I mean, come on, man. I mean, we're not... Like, so anyway, they say, these guys are, I better get out of there, but it's getting bad. But, but uh, the fact is, they say, listen now, you know, uh, those old guys don't know what they're talking about. No, 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 no. What you need to do, Rehoboam, you need to listen to us. And what we're telling you is this, make it even harder on them. You just make it tougher. You put it to them, man. Well, I'll tell you what, that's exactly the advice he followed. And boy, I'll tell you what happened. Ah, Jeroboam happened. Jeroboam happened. Israel rebelled against Rehoboam and they appointed Jeroboam king over Israel or king, if you will, over the 10 tribes, the northern 10 tribes. And Rehoboam, on the other hand, reigned over Judah and Benjamin. So he didn't lose all of the kingdom, but he lost the majority of it. 10 tribes to the north now are called Israel and Judah now is only Judah and Israel. Benjamin. So we read here now, we come to 1 Kings chapter 12 and we're reading about Jeroboam. He's taken over those tribes. They've come to him and asked him to be their king and sure enough he would be and here's how it reads. Then Jeroboam, verse 25, built Shechem in Mount Ephraim and dwelt therein and went out from thence and built Penuel. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now shall the kingdom return to the house of David. If this people go up to do sacrifice in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then shall the heart of this people turn again unto their Lord, even unto Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they shall kill me and go again to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. 
He made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people which were not of the sons of Levi. Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month, on the fifteenth day of the month, like unto the feast that is in in Judah. And he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the fifteenth day of the eighth month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart, and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar a burnt incense. I don't know about you, but this is an alarming passage to me. We got some real problems here in Israel, don't we? There's a couple of things in the passage that I want to note today. And I just want to share three simple thoughts. I want to note, first of all, the proclamation. I want to then see the participation. And finally, when it's all said and done, I want to note the escalation. And I want you to see that the, the, the problems that exist in Israel years and years ago uh, really exist today. They're still with us, aren't they? So let's have a word of prayer and let's consider these three simple thoughts today as we move forward and as we prepare for even tonight. Father, we love you now. We need you. Speak to our hearts. Lord, we know, Father, that nothing will be accomplished except it be done in and through you. You're the key. Father, we need your presence. We need your power. We need your Holy Spirit to put his finger on our hearts and in the areas of need in our life. We need the filling of the Holy Ghost and we need the empowering of his presence in this place. Well, Spirit of God, show up here. May this be your house. May this be a place where you are free to move and to work. And may each of our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our thoughts be focused on you. May we, Father, allow you to work now, Father, not be distracted. Father, just uh, keep the devil away. And Lord, just allow us, Father, to truly hear from heaven what you would have for us. We need you now, Lord. And we'll bless you. We'll praise you for it. And if there be any that are without Christ today, that have never received and accepted him as their own personal Savior, that they would settle that today. They would not leave here with doubt, but they would leave here with a divine nature. Well, thank you. In Christ's name, amen. We think of the proclamation, or we note the proclamation. Look at verse 28 here. Look what uh, is taking place. It says, Whereupon the king took counsel, and made two calves of gold, and said unto them, It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold thy gods. Behold thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee out of the land of Egypt. That's an amazing statement. Behold thy gods, O Israel. Behold thy gods. Again, earlier in the passage, we know that Jeroboam, he feared that Israel would turn from him and ultimately follow Rehoboam. Now they had to make their way down to Jerusalem. They had to worship in the temple and they had to sacrifice at the temple and they had to take care of their spiritual issues at the temple and Unfortunately, we see here Jeroboam getting a little bit nervous, a little bit concerned. Okay, the kingdom is split in half. Ten tribes have gone with me. Two tribes, in a sense, are down with him. And the fact is, is that if they go down there to Jerusalem, if they find their way into that temple, if they get close to God, they could certainly turn their back on me and once again go back to Rehoboam. And then they'll take me and hang my carcass out there in the wilderness to die. And he says, you know what, i got to get a solution here. i got to figure this problem out. 
I got to find out how I can keep them from going down to Jerusalem so that I don't have to worry about my authority being usurped or about me losing my position, my preeminence, my place among the people. I, I must say this first, just by way of helpful understanding. The fact is, is that God had already intended that Jeroboam rule, by the way. So it is important to realize that although Rehoboam made a horrible, horrible choice to adhere to or to apply the, the, the wisdom of the young men, he should have never done that. The fact is, is that God had already, already planned and prepared for Jeroboam to reign. So here's the thing. Jeroboam isn't trusting God at all. Any place, anywhere in his, his kingdom. I mean, the fact is, is that he's already been appointed by God. So really, why does he have to worry about a man? But he's so concerned about holding on to power. He's so concerned and consumed with his authority and, and his position that he says, listen, I can't afford to lose it. And so what am I going to do? And he seeks counsel. He took counsel, he should say. He sought it and then took it. And therefore, he made two calves of gold. These are God's people. Two calves of gold. And he said unto them, It is too much for you to go down to Jerusalem. You don't need to travel all the way down to Jerusalem. You've got to understand that Israel was north, and it was this big mass of land up there north. At the very tip of the northern part was a city called Dan. At the very bottom below at the south end was a city called Bethel. And then below Bethel was Jerusalem. And there was a smaller area called Judah there. So Judah is a small area, big area Israel, top Dan, bottom of Israel, Bethel. Jeroboam says, now this is what we're going to do. You guys don't need to go all the way down to Jerusalem. Matter of fact, just go down to Bethel or up to Dan. You from up north, don't come all the way down. Go up. Go to Dan. You that are in the south, you just go right to Bethel. So we could split our nation in half and you go up, you go down. Everybody's happy. They may have been happy, but they weren't right with God. (laughs) Because he created two calves, a golden calf down in Bethel and a golden calf up in Dan and said, you go there. You go up, you go down. It doesn't matter. But these be thy gods. These are your gods. Behold thy gods, these golden calves. That's the proclamation. Behold thy gods. Behold thy gods. That's an amazing proclamation to me. You know, most have been exposed to the Bible, at least in our generation, haven't they? At least exposed to it. They've heard about it. And you know, from our perspective today, at least, you and I, for sure, it's clear that God created the heaven and the earth. You know, we had a mom or a dad or maybe a grandma or a grandpa, maybe an aunt or an uncle who pointed out the truths of Scripture. And you know, as a result of that, we we said, you know what? He's our God. Sadly enough, those in Israel at times, even though the people of God forever were falling back into idolatry, they knew about God as well. 
Like you and I, they had a familiarity with God. Just like you and I, they knew a little bit about the past. They knew about creation and they knew about Moses. And they knew about all of these men that had existed before. They saw God and they'd heard about God. And what he had done in their ministry and in their, 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 uh, their, their towns and their cities. And what they've done, they did in, in, in the, the country itself and in the, the nation itself. They remember all of those things. And yet it finds here, we got a proclamation being made by a king now. A guy by the name of Jeroboam that says, wait a second, behold thy gods, behold thy gods. This is your God now. This is your God. Not the one that delivered you out of Egypt. Not the one that helped you to cross over the Red Sea. Not that God. These are your gods. Behold thy gods. You would think that somebody would have stood up and said, "Uh uh-uh. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. It's funny, you know that on our currency it says, in God we trust. Isn't that something? How much longer do you think that'll be? How much longer do you think it'll be the case that, in the, that it says on our currency in God we trust? I don't think it's going to be that awfully long. There are voices, in spite of the fact that on our currency it says in God we trust, screaming, behold thy gods. Behold thy gods. You know, in every generation, there have been those who have cried, behold thy gods. Don't you take your Bible, turn over the book of Exodus real quick. Turn to Exodus chapter 32. Again, we're dealing with Israel. Many, many, many years before this, Israel had been in bondage, as we noted, and God delivered them out of the uh, hands of the Egyptians. He would remind Israel of this fact over in Exodus chapter 19, verse 4, when he says, Ye have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and how I bear you on eagles' wings and brought you unto myself. Wow, he said, listen, I bore you on eagles' wings. I brought you out of bondage. I helped you to escape slavery. I'm the one that did that for you. And then we see that God had also laid down some pretty clear guidelines concerning their future worship. When he told them in Exodus chapter 20, verse 22, he said, And the Lord said unto Moses, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, Ye have seen that I have talked with you from heaven. Ye shall not make with me gods of silver, neither shall ye make unto you gods of gold. You're not going to, don't make any images of me, and don't you dare make any other images of any other gods. Moses would make his way to the top of the mount. There he would meet with God and receive the table of stones that were written by the very finger of God. Sadly, in the meantime, below, the children of Israel are going off the deep end. His visit with God would be curtailed by the unexcusable behavior of the people. Here in chapter 32, verses 1, Through eight, we note now what transpires and takes place. It says, And when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down out of the mount, the people gathered themselves together unto Aaron and said unto him, Up, make us gods, which shall go before us. But for for this Moses, the man that brought us up out of the land of Egypt... We want not what has become of him. And Aaron said unto them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, of your sons and of your daughters, and bring them unto me. By the way, that was... I don't even want to get into it. Let's move on. Verse 3. And all the people break off the earrings which were in their ears and brought them unto Aaron. 
And he received them at their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool after he had made it a molten calf. Isn't that interesting? And they said, watch it, These be thy gods, O Israel, which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. We're talking three months after being delivered out of the land of Egypt. Are you kidding me? Is this amazing to you? I don't know about you, but this is totally and completely amazing to me. To think that three months after literally being delivered out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, after crossing over the Red Sea and making their way to the mount, now all of a sudden, because Moses has taken a little too long, we're going to go ahead and mold a golden calf and say, These be thy gods. It's amazing to me. I don't know about you. That just is amazing. He goes on to say, And when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. It's funny how we always bring God into our idolatry. It's pretty good, huh? I mean, as long as God's a part of it. Even though it's worshiping an idol, at least he's a part of it. And they rose up early, verse 6, on the morrow, and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said unto Moses, Go get thee down, for thy people which thou broughtest out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. They have made them a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed thereunto and said, These be thy gods, O Israel, which have brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. Wow. Every generation. It doesn't matter how far back you go. It doesn't matter how far in the future you go. There's always going to be a generation. There's always going to be somebody that's going to cry, These be thy gods. Behold thy gods. And by the way, if I recall correctly, Aaron is the priest. Can you wrap your mind around that one? Aaron was Moses' mouthpiece. Aaron was right there when the water turned to blood. Aaron was right there when he called fire out of heaven. Aaron was right there. He's the man of God. And yet he's saying, These be thy gods, O Israel, which delivered thee out of Egypt. That's amazing to me. We see the proclamation. Behold thy gods. Behold thy gods. And there's, there are those crying that today. Behold thy gods. Number two, we see the participation in verse 29 and 30 of our passage. All the way over there. We see here in 29 and 30, 2 Kings chapter 12. Notice what it says. It says in chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. I always mess up. I always go to 2 Kings instead of 1 Kings. I do that every time. I did that at least three times today. 
All right, chapter 12, verses 29 and 30. He says, And he set the one in Bethel, and the other put he in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. You imagine that. Here we go now. We see the participation taking place. I mean, the people heard, Behold thy gods. And what they do? They just did it. They just followed the words of Jeroboam. They just went ahead and went to Dan. They went down to Bethel. They just went ahead and fall, fell before those golden calves and worshipped them. I don't know about you, but that seems a little bit crazy to me. I mean, how could these people that, that have such a, such a rich history in the things of God just turn their back on everything that they had been taught? Now, of course, we know that they were not as faithful as they ought to have been to begin with, but, boy, this seems to be a pretty blatant decision, pretty blatant choice. But how sad to see Israel, yes. But what about you and I today? What about us? It's funny that we'll neglect the house of God and choose to worship elsewhere. You say, what do you mean? Well, we neglect the creator God and instead worship our created gods. We know we've got a creator, but instead we create our own gods. And then we bow before them. We need to know, we know we ought to be in God's house, but instead we just go ahead and worship where we choose to worship. See, the world is good at making proclamations. Behold thy gods. And you know, it's funny, they say, behold thy God of entertainment. The U.S. entertainment and media market generated $479.23 billion in 2012 alone. It represented 29.2% of the world, worldwide revenue of nearly $1.639 trillion. In 2017, the U.S. is expected that's this last year, it was expected to account for $632 billion or 29.4% of the worldwide total of more than $2.152 trillion, according to this particular report. I mean, think about that. $632 billion spent on entertainment. Sports. We say, wait a second. Behold thy gods, the God of sports. 72% of 18 to 29-year-olds are sports fans. This compares with 64% of 30 to 49-year-olds and 58% of those age 50 and older. Football is America's favorite sport to watch. 37% of Americans mention football when asked without prompting uh, to name their favorite sport to watch. Just to me, football, football, football. Wait a second. You say, what's the big deal? What's wrong with that? I mean, 64% of 30 to 49-year-olds, 58% of those age 50 and older. What's the big deal, right? 72% of 18 to 29-year-olds are sports fans. I have no problem with sports, but can I ask you this? How is it that only 28% of younger Americans between 23 and 37 attend, uh, 23 and 37 attend church? Nearly half, 49% of Americans, can't find a positive impact that church provides. Half of Americans say, we don't even know what the purpose of church is. It serves no real purpose. It doesn't do any positive thing for us. But yet we, well, I'll tell you what, 
percentage after percentage, multitude after multitude, dollar after dollar being pumped into sports, pumped into sports, pumped into sports, but nobody wants to be in God's house. Or at least not many. A shocking 85% of U.S. churches are either declining or plateauing. They've either reached their peak or they're on the way down, 85% of them. And yet it seems that the NFL keeps growing, the NBA keeps growing, and soccer keeps growing, and every sport in this world in which we live continues to just consume and saturate our minds and our hearts. Even now with the, 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 NCAA, the NCAA having their tournament, can't help but get on the app, can't help but see what's going on with Chicago Loyola or whatever their name is. I mean, a miracle team, a miracle team. When there's miracles taking place every single day down to the house of God. Behold thy gods. Behold thy gods. Well, I'm a Christian. Behold thy gods. And we bow before the sports gods. We'll miss church for a ball game. We'll go up to see the Cleveland Browns on a Sunday morning instead of being in God's house. We'll follow every stat and every, every single thing that we can about some particular sport that we love. We'll put our kids in it and miss church even. But the fact is we can't even quote one verse out of the Bible. Behold thy gods. Entertainment, sports, leisure, pleasure. Behold thy gods. Do you know that porn sites receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined? That's from the Huffington Post. Can you imagine that with me for a moment? Behold thy gods. We got passion for immorality. We got, we got drive for the wrong kind of things, but we don't want nothing to do with God. We have no real care for God and a love for God or a passion for God. But boy, I'll tell you what, we'll jump on the internet and we'll look at things we shouldn't look at. Behold thy gods. Behold thy gods. 35% of all internet downloads are porn-related. 64% of young people ages 13 to 24, 64% of young people ages 13 to 24 actively seek out pornography weekly or more often. 64%. Well, praise God, that's not my child. Whatever. They got access to it. You better bet they're probably checking it out. I don't know about you, but I, listen, I get a little weary of men that'll say, well, my kid ain't doing something like that. You're an idiot. If you were 13 years old and had access to that without nobody knowing about it, you would too. So let's just go ahead and give them a gun to their head. And talk about what guns are doing to Americans and what guns are doing to children, what guns are doing at schools. Let's talk about what this immorality and this pornography is doing to the minds and the attitudes and the future of our country. Even the secular community now recognizes the fact that it's destroying and wrecking not only marriages. Do you realize that marriages fall apart, that 300, there's a 300% increase in divorce when there's pornography involved? It's amazing. And then it says, porn increases marital infidelity by about the same amount. 300%. Well, we just watch a little bit of this and a little bit of that. Oh, you just want your marriage to end then. You want your husband or your wife to cheat on you. And by the way, it's not just men today, it's women too. Behold thy gods. But I go to church. Behold thy gods. 
Even, even Aaron understood, let's go ahead and sacrifice unto the Lord here. Let's build this golden calf. Let's go ahead and bow down to it, but we'll also recognize the Lord at the same time. Behold thy gods, the God of indulgence. What about the God of TV even? You say, well, you're going to pick on TV? No, I, I, I watch TV. I, I do. I'm not going to lie to you. I like it. There's a lot of things I like to watch on TV. I like videos. And I like shows. I like that kind of stuff. But hold on a second. I also have to be a little bit realistic about some things here. I also got to ask myself, what's really ruling my life? Is it Christ or is it some, some show on TV? According to the A.C. Nielsen Company, the average American watches more than four hours of TV each day or 28 hours a week or two months of nonstop TV watching per year. Is that amazing? Now listen, let's not get all crazy, okay? Well, I don't watch that much. How much do you watch? How much do I watch when I give it opportunity? I just like to veg out. Yeah, me too. And it shows sometimes. Oh, yeah. But the problem isn't this. The problem's this. It's probably more dangerous that we're vegging because we let our guard down and things just come on in. We've got to be careful. I'm not saying you can't watch a show, but I'm saying think about what we're doing. Let's ask ourselves, who are our gods? What are our gods today? I mean, how long have you read the Bible this week? But how many hours did you put in front of the television set? And we get on the internet and we're on Snapchat and Facebook and all these different media outlets and yet we spend so little time reading the Word and studying the Word and memorizing the Word and meditating on the Word and we'll say to ourselves, I love Jesus, I love the Lord, but behold thy God's. told you this wouldn't be a normal service. <laughs> One researcher concerning the Bible said this, most Americans don't know firsthand the overall story of the Bible because they rarely pick it up. Even among worship attendees, less than half read the Bible daily. Less than half. The only time most Americans hear the Bible is when someone else is reading it. That's an amazing consideration, isn't it? That's unbelievable. Behold thy gods. I'm just saying, let's make sure that we're aware of what's really going on around us. Okay, you're in church. Praise God for that. And that's a blessing. And I'm in church today. That's wonderful. And we ought to be and we should want to be. But the fact is, is that if we really look around us, we may have carved out or molded some golden calves and we may be bowing down to them without even realizing it. And we're worshiping those calves and we're saying, behold thy gods. And yet we're such good Christians because we believe we have character, because we at least go to work every day, because we provide for our families, because we're good people. But godly people do not bow down to other gods, but one God. We see the escalation of it in verse 31 through 33. Real quick, we have to close, but notice what it says here. Again, we're still in uh, 1 Kings, I'm sorry verse 12, 31 through 33. And he made a house of high places. 
Now we got a house of high places. And he made priests of the lowest of the people. Isn't that interesting? God always wants the best. He picks the lowest. And notice, and I think it's just interesting wording. I think that's just interesting wording. Notice he goes on to, he goes on to say here, which were not of the sons of Levi. Weren't the Levites the one that's supposed to be the priests? So now he's choosing people that aren't priests, but not only that, he's choosing people that don't belong in the ministry at all, ever. Notice verse 31, and he made a house of high places. He made priests, of course. Verse 32, and Jeroboam ordained a feast in the eighth month of the 15th day of the month, like unto the feast that is in Judah. Boy, he wants to make it look like it's legit worship. Like unto the feast that is in Judah, and he offered upon the altar. So did he in Bethel, sacrificing unto the calves that he had made. And he placed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So he offered upon the altar which he had made in Bethel the 15th day of the 8th month, even in the month which he had devised of his own heart and ordained a feast unto the children of Israel. And he offered upon the altar and burned incense. It's interesting to me that he did it in Bethel primarily because Bethel's the one closest to Jerusalem. We see here that this isn't getting better. It only gets worse. As a matter of fact, God ultimately sends a prophet by the name of Ahijah, uh, Ahijah and, and, and he says to Jeroboam, he makes a statement in 1 Kings 14, 9. He says, but hast thou, speaking of Jeroboam, hast done evil above all that were before thee. For thou hast gone and made thee other gods and molten images to provoke me to anger and hast cast me behind thy back. Do you realize that of the 19 kings that would ultimately rule Israel, not one of them was considered a good king? Nothing got better, it only got worse. And ultimately in 721 B.C., the Assyrians came down and took them captive. They became enslaved all over again. They were in bondage all over again. They were at the mercy of the enemy all over again. Because there came a point... that they stopped serving the God of heaven and instead worshipped the gods of their own making. Why is America going downhill? Why do we see it spiraling into the abyss? Morally? Ethically? Why do we see tragedy on every side, it seems? Because we have decided... To heed the cry, behold thy gods. Gods of our own demise, gods of our own making. Because we have forfeited the God of heaven, dismissed the God of heaven, discarded the God of heaven. This is the consequence. In 2 Corinthians 4, 3 through 4, I'll close with this passage. If you would, just look at it, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4.
2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4, notice what it says. It says, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. I want you to note with me verse 4, in whom the God of this world. You know, we've been reading in the book of Psalm chapter 24. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And someone says, well, the world's God's. The earth is, but not the world system in which we live. It's been turned over to the control of Satan, who is the little g God of this world. Do you know what he is? He's a golden calf. And he's molding golden calves. And the God of this world, like even Aaron in rebellion to God, the the, the God, the, the, the Satan, just like Jeroboam in rebellion to God, is molding calves all over the place and saying, you don't need to go to the house of God. You don't need to get on your knees before God. You don't have to humble yourself before God. You don't have to serve the living God. You don't have to believe in God. You don't have to have anything to do with Him. I'll make it easy. Bow here. Behold thy gods. And that's what he's doing. And you know what, sadly enough? America has fallen into his trap. And instead of saying, Behold my God, we're saying, Behold thy gods. Little G's. When we could have the big G, we're settling for the little G. Well, that's pretty sad. And I want to encourage you as we prepare and as we make, our, make ready for this revival service that we put things in perspective and realize today that we need to examine our hearts. We need to look into our heart lives and we need to ask ourselves, what is it that we really serve? Who is it we really serve? Who are our gods today? Or who is our God? I believe when we get that answered and we get that straight, it'll change where we go, what we do, how we speak, how we live, every aspect of our life. But let's ask ourselves, who are the gods we follow today? Do I put preeminence and priority on his word? Do I put a priority and a preeminence on his house? Do I make it a priority to serve? to be plugged in, to worship? Or are there other gods that I'm bowing down to today? Behold thy gods. I ask the question, I ask it as a question instead of a statement. It says, behold thy gods. I want you to behold thy gods. Behold thy gods? Do you realize who the gods are in your life today? What controls you? Who controls you? If it's not Christ alone, then it's a golden calf. You're bowing down to an idol, and so am I, if it's not Jesus Christ only. Father, we need you.